0: Hey there, greetings everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Plan B Success. We have Sterling Hawkins with us today, all the way from Colorado. Now, Sterling has been an entrepreneur. He's dabbled in startups, built companies, sold companies, and along the way, he learned a few things that he's willing to share in his book, and his book is called Hunting Discomfort. Now, Sterling is a strong believer that you have to be uncomfortable in order to find your breakthroughs. So let's learn what that's all about. So welcome,
1: Sterling. Thanks, Rajiv. Great to be here with you. Thanks for having me on.
0: My pleasure. So in your words, tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Uh, well, I think you captured the high points. I'm, a, I'm an entrepreneur um small investor and I run workshops and keynotes for companies all over the world these days all around how to create breakthrough results you know if we look at the world um, I don't think there's any, Thoughts that we're going to go back to some stable condition. You know, we've got the pandemic fallout. We've got tech disruption continuing to increase. We've got global instability. You know, it's a long list that every business, every person is dealing with at a very individual level, and also as a as a community. And I think there's a lot of power in predicting the future, and there's plenty of tools for that. But my message and my work is more about. No matter what happens, how can we develop ourselves, our companies, and our cultures to be ready to handle it, no matter what? Awesome.
0: So your, your own career, you know, you've, you've been there, done that, and somehow- A couple it, of times. Yes. And it tells me that you have been in uncomfortable situations all along, and that's, that's, that's the journey that you took. So can you share a little bit about your own background?
1: I can. Well, it wasn't the journey I took originally. Uh, But I'd like to say I I didn't start out hunting discomfort. It hunted me, which is really how it happens. We'll get into that stuff later. But I started out, I founded a company with my dad, actually, sold it to a group in Silicon Valley where it became part of uh, what was the Apple Pay before Apple Pay. It was uh, a little fingerprint sensor that sat next to the credit card terminal. And all you had to do was put your finger down, and just like Apple Pay, All your credit card accounts would come up or your loyalty cards or whatever it was. And this is the early 2000s, right? So people would look at this. Customers would look at it. More importantly, investors would look at this thing and say, wow, this is the future. So we went on to raise over $550 million, multi-billion dollar valuation, I feel like there's a number of companies up in that stratosphere these days, but back in the early 2000s, we were like one of two or three. You know, It was a really big deal. And it was like living the dream, especially right out of college. You know, I'm in my mid-20s at this point, and um, we've got 700 employees, offices all over the world, and I'm busy planning my next business venture because I've already been hugely successful and I'm ready for my own private jet and private island and uh, everything that, that else that comes with that kind of lifestyle. But I, I did get ahead of myself. This is where the discomfort caught up with me. When the housing market collapsed, our investment dried up. We just grew too quickly. We raised too much money. Frankly, we made a number of missteps. And so the entire company went bankrupt, half a billion dollars gone. And the bankruptcy court did license some of the patents out for pennies on the dollar. I think they made a few million dollars from the half a billion that was invested. So next to nothing. And as those proceedings went forward, I didn't know what to do. I, I was trapped by how uncomfortable that situation became because not only did I no longer have a job, chief, but eventually I ran out of cash. I go from this big, beautiful penthouse in downtown San Francisco Floor-to-ceiling windows looking out over the Bay Bridge. It, it was a dream apartment to my parents' house. Which, by the way, is not a good luck in your 30s when I was there. <laughs> and just to kind of full, play out the full uh, sad country song of a life I had at the moment, even my girlfriend broke up with me. And it was like one thing after another. I was hitting every single beat. And I didn't know what to do. And I'm laying in bed. Not even in the house I grew up in. It was a new house they moved into. And I'm in the guest room with some boxes and a couple of suitcases, not sure what to do with my life. And I'm staring at the ceiling one evening in over six figures of personal debt. I said, don't, I don't know if I can go on. I don't know if I want to go on. But I will, I will do something. I'm not sure what yet but I will do something with three words that have obviously become very special to me, no matter what. And I used it just as a personal mantra to get myself out of bed the next morning or to call the creditors or whatever it might've been. Like, no matter what, I'm going to get out of bed at seven o'clock tomorrow. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to make that phone call. And it, it's what helped me take steps forward. And so I, I lived in that discomfort for a long time, which is a critical distinction. You know, everybody deals with a lot of discomfort on a a normal basis with their family, with their cash flow, with their business, with their relationships. But I will tell people all the same thing, which is you're not hunting discomfort. You're living with it. And that's what I did for a a long time, um, longer than I care to admit, actually, until this phrase came back to me. Have you ever heard the phrase, the way out is through? Not really. Not really. It's a Robert Frost quote. It's something my mom said when I was a kid and it came back to me at one of my lowest points there. And it means, you know, to change the circumstances, to get out of the situation that we're in, Mm -hmm. we must go through it. And when it came back to me, I thought, you know, the thing that's most terrifying to me at the moment is speaking in public. Like I had totally retreated from friends and business relationships. Like I was only... Uh, in it for survival at that point. And so if the way out is through, I'm going to commit to going through this fear of speaking in public. And I decided not to do it in a a small way or maybe arguably a smart way, but I get this email from a conference in Singapore. It just kind of dings on my uh, desktop. And I hit the reply button. I say, why don't you have me speak? Best Sterling. And long story short, Rajiv, I kid you not, I I practiced incessantly for about three, four months, get on the stage, deliver. I was terrified. I'm pretty sure I blacked out during it. I was so scared. And I get off the stage and the conference director makes a beeline for me. And I think he's uh, like ready to give me bad news. Like, we're not going to pay you or give us the money back, something like that. Like, I thought I totally bombed. And he goes, Sterling, that's the best talk I've seen in my 17 years of doing this. To this day, I I don't believe that he actually was even in the talk that I gave. I'm convinced that he just says that to everybody. But he did go on to put me in touch with all of his conference director friends, and I had a speaking career on my hands. And it turns out, good old mom was right. The way out is through. And since then, I've understood that discomfort's not something to avoid. It's not something to run away from. It's not something to deny. It's actually specifically the location of where our next breakthrough is. And when we turn towards it and take steps through it, no matter what, that's where we start to achieve things that are maybe even beyond what we can imagine from where we sit today. Awesome. How did I do? (laughs) Thanks.
0: Is is hunting discomfort basically uh, unraveling your no matter what system? Is that what it is?
1: That's what it is. Exactly. Going through the main kinds of discomfort that you know stop people, but when people are stopped, companies are stopped and they get stuck and mired in um, discomfort, although it doesn't look that way. Oftentimes, companies and people will, will use data and analysis to defend themselves from inevitable discomfort. Uh, it's not the smart thing to do. We have to learn more. We're not ready. To be clear, sometimes that is the case. Sometimes you do need to learn more. Sometimes you need to step back. Like I'm all for that stuff. But more often than not, it becomes a shield protecting the individual, the team, even the company from discomfort. And the only thing that shield does is it act more like a cage, locking you into the results that you already have. Now, if you're happy with that, fantastic. But, you, but if you're committed to any increase in results beyond something mildly incremental, you have to go after that discomfort. And there's five steps to do it.
0: You know, I want to go back uh, to, to the company that you talked about. So is, is, that, is that Convena?
1: Uh, Convena was a company we sold uh, to the group in Silicon Valley. Yes. And then with the other one that you talked about, the one that
0: uh, went bankrupt, uh, was that The different one, different one?
1: Yeah. So it became part of a company called Solidus Networks. So and that- we were one of um, probably ten or twelve companies that got rolled up into this massive entity.
0: Okay, so was that Cart?
1: Uh, no, Cart's a, a separate business that I run today that works specifically with larger businesses to help them embrace innovation.
0: Okay, so you know you saw the you saw success really early with the company that you sold. And then that's you right. saw, then you saw what could go wrong with your other venture that, that went bankrupt, and then you took a total total pivot turn to go after um, uh, a speaking career in which you pretty much tumbled into it, right? So that's when you right.
1: really, because it scared me,
0: right? And when you look at it, right, that that's a pretty roller coaster ride. But uh, you know, yeah. let's talk about the timeline there, right? Um, from, you know this time that's happening between being very successful and then going through this uh, you know uh, something totally unexpected as you're winding down that, down that company and now you have questions about your own um, self confidence you have questions about your own abilities um, before you even get up and say, "Okay, what do I want to do next or you know uh, so what was that phase like you know and how did you keep your head above water when when you were going through that
1: phase. Yeah. Well, I mean, that phase, we covered it quickly, was years. Right. You know, I, I didn't run out of cash immediately. Like, it, it, it was a slow decline, and I just didn't have the resolve, conviction, um, or maybe the courage and confidence to do anything about it. Like, I thought I was taking action. I thought I was trying to improve some things. But as I reflect on it, I was more interested in protecting Um, my identity and everything that I thought that I knew that I was about growing and changing and doing something different. And that's a really hard thing to give up is our view of of reality. And I do mean it on like a macro scale, like how we see the world. Um, It falls into one of three categories of things, like how we see ourselves, how we see another, and how we see the world at large. And for a long time, I was unwilling to give up the views, the beliefs that I had about those things. And like will happen to anybody, if they refuse to give up their uh, perspectives on some of those things or hold them as the single truth, they will get stuck. Things do change. Reality doesn't change, but our view of it does. And it took a whole lot more discomfort to get to a place where I was uncomfortable enough to start giving some of those things up. Um, And, You know, I I make light of it talking about uh, as a depressing country song, which it was. uh, But there were some really dark moments in there, you know, where I'm, um, you know, I don't talk much about it, but I'll share it with you and your listeners is uh, I was seeing a doctor for anxiety, for depression. I was medicated for all those things, none of which I take today, by the way, Um, it got to a pretty dark place. And for me, it was necessary to get to that place to give up. Uh, some of the, the opinions, the views, the perspectives that I held so dearly. And when I let go of them, new potential arose, like will for anybody.
0: And, and what, what was the su- support system that you had at that point in time, externally and internally?
1: Um, externally, I didn't have much. It was a, really my family, um, specifically my sister and my mom, um, I've always been close to them, but through those dark times, especially close. Uh, I think what they did for me is uh, both provide some accountability, you know, that I was continuing on, I was taking some actions, I was doing the things that I needed to do in a, in a soft way, right? At least at the time. Uh, but what they also provided was a space of love and acceptance, you know, to move through those really hard times. Sure, we need accountability. We need. Uh, some kind of mentorship or inspiration. We need some view of the future, but we also need the love and support because things can get pretty rough. How we look at ourselves, how we consider ourselves um, sometimes cannot stand on its own when we're giving up the views of who we think we are, so that love and support for me was was critical. Um, internally, I developed a, a number of, um, you could call them spiritual practices. You could call them... Um, mindful practices. I got deep into yoga. I got into breathing exercises. Um, I have since gone on to, I'm sure spend thousands of hours and I'm sure thousands of dollars on programs to develop myself to a point where, um, at least at the time I was doing yoga on a regular basis. I was working out. I was doing breathing exercises. I was meditating. I was doing everything that I could to, um, let go of who I thought I was. And those practices um, really gave me the, the internal uh, stability, or maybe better said, the internal courage to keep pushing forward.
0: Awesome. So can you, so your no matter what system that's yeah. basically uh, that's basically uh, something that came out through your own experiences, something that's that's worked for you.
1: Right. Is That's that a- right. And I didn't even do it as, as like a system. You know, no matter what, in the beginning, as I shared, was just this personal mantra to keep me going, uh, to put one foot in front of the other. And after I spoke in Singapore and had this growing speaking career, my sister, who was a, a fundamental part of helping me you know, go there and be successful there, she listened to you know countless practice runs and she helped me with the slides. She even came to Singapore with me. You know, she started grabbing on to some of these loose principles at the time. Like now they're, they're formalized in a book with all the research and everything else. But at the time, there were some loose principles. And she said, I'm going to apply this myself. And she had a struggle with some body issues and some um, eating issues herself. And she committed and uh, since carried through becoming a championship bodybuilder, believe it or not. Awesome. It, it's unreal. You know, to see her on the stage with all the muscles popping out, it's still weird that it's my sister, but she's done an incredible job and she's achieved something uh, really phenomenal. And people saw me, they saw her, and they said, What is going on with you two? And we shared, and the circle grew a little bit more. And as the circle grew, we were impacting more and more people. We start to fine tune the system a little bit, not only fine tune it with the research and the brain science and everything else, um, but fine tune it. In the realities, the lived realities of people using it, right? How are they going to use it? And since we've had people, um, you know, lose a tremendous amount of weight, start new companies, start new divisions within their organizations that they're already in, um, you know, they're producing these incredible, incredible results from using this system in their own lives and in their own businesses. You know, what I like to say is I've gotten a tremendous amount out of this, no matter what hunting discomfort system, but it's really not about me. It's about the community of people that's using it to impact their communities and in their worlds. And that's what this is about now.
0: Can you give us a glimpse into the, the, your system?
1: Of course. Yeah, we, we can do as much as a glimpse as you like. We can do a deep dive wherever you want to stop me. But at a high level, you know the first step is is confronting the discomfort of reality, you know really doing a hard look at how you see yourself, others, and the world. Now, I don't suggest you question everything that can be hugely destabilizing, but look at the views, the beliefs, the perspectives you have around areas of your life that specifically aren't working sales, for example, or finances or um team building or whatever it is, look at your beliefs around those experiences of discomfort. And when you feel discomfort in there, that's kind of a, a blinking sign saying, look more closely here, look a little bit deeper. The second step is something that calls us through not only the discomfort of facing reality, but uh, facing the discomfort of self-doubt, which we all have. And that's a step I call get a tattoo not a physical tattoo, but it's a a fun way to say, how do you commit so deeply so that there's no going back? And when you commit so deeply and you have accountability and you have things on the line, it will open up new openings for action that you probably don't see from where you're sitting today there's this thing in all of our brains called the reticular activation system, it's short for RAS, 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 R-A-S, whatever, however you pronounce that. Mm-hmm. And it's basically the bouncer for the consciousness of our, our mind. And the RAS is, is looking for things that it knows are important to you. It's why, uh, you know, I'm getting a, a new car next month because I just moved to Denver, Colorado, and the sedan I have is no longer cutting it. And now I see that car that I'm buying everywhere, right? <laughs> it's, it's the RAS is picking it out. They've always been there, but now I'm just noticing it more. And when you succumb to self-doubt, that RAS is picking out all the reasons around you, of which there are many, why you shouldn't, can't, and won't move forward. And if you succumb to that, you're stopped. But when you commit, and as I say, you get a tattoo, it retunes that RAS, to look for new openings for action, new opportunities, new connections, new people, new things that you can do to move yourself forward towards whatever the goal is. It's hugely powerful, especially when you don't give yourself an escape valve because you'll always use it if you have it. You with me so far? Yeah. Okay. Third step is um, what I call build a street gang, and it's the antidote for the fear of exposure that we all have. That's very natural for everybody because it's an evolutionary uh, response inside of ourselves. You know, as humans were developing eons ago, if they were rejected from whatever tribe they were in, it meant not that they were rejected, they had to find new friends, it meant death. And we still have that biology built into ourselves. And so this fear of exposure is huge and it's natural for everybody. When you surround yourself with a third step, what I call uh, building a street gang, like I was saying, it uh, calls you through that fear of exposure. And there's a couple of main roles of people you want to surround yourself with that are committed to your success. One is accountability. You've probably heard that one before. It's a very popular one, but when you're accountable to a specific person at a specific time for a specific thing, Research says you're 95% more likely to achieve that goal. I mean, it's massive. If you actually want to achieve something, you need somebody to hold you personally accountable for it. Just as important, though, as I was saying earlier, is, is that love and support. You need people around you or at least one person around you that's going to accept you no matter what. And then you need mentorship, somebody that has been on the path you're on and can show you the tactics, the tools, the steps, maybe even personal connections that you need to take. And the fourth component of a street gang that's important is inspiration. Somebody or even something in this case that's really going to light the fire inside of you that gives you the lifeblood to handle everything that you've got moving forward. So we've done a lot. So we, we've hunted discomfort. We've gotten a tattoo. We built a street gang. But of course, we all run into problems and challenges and obstacles these days. And that's the fourth step, which is called flip it. And I thought it was important in writing this book that we not only talked philosophically about discomfort and the feelings of it and how to overcome it, but objectively, how do you handle the things that stop us? You know, most popularly, well, I don't have enough money and I don't have enough time, I don't have enough resources. We need a way to reframe, re-understand how we're looking at those things in order to overcome them or break through them, as I, I'd rather say. And that's what Flip it's about. Ways to look at that reality, look at the challenge that doesn't hide from it, that doesn't push it away, that doesn't deny it or ignore it, but actually uses that challenge as the pathway for new results. It's a very stoic philosophy. The obstacle is the way. And what we've got in there, I'll, I'll give you one of the things that you can do. I, I love uh, looking at challenges in a way. You say, hey, okay, here's my challenge. But what if I created an even bigger challenge for myself? I've got a problem. What if I make it even bigger? And this, this is usually the part in a conversation people look at me and they're like, Stone, you're, you're nuts. Like, I thought you were crazy, but now I'm really sure of it. But when you reframe looking at your problem as something much greater, sometimes there's new ways to approach it. The example I use in the book is uh, Richard Branson, of course, of Virgin fame. When he was uh, trying to retrofit some of his planes in the early 90s with the latest in entertainment systems, he couldn't raise the 10 billion pounds I think it was to do that. But what he did is he flipped it. He created a bigger problem and said, if I can't... in new entertainment systems. What if I buy entirely new planes already with the entertainment systems? A 4 billion pound proposition. And sure enough, he called Boeing, he called Airbus, talked them into these deals where he ended up with not only an entirely new fleet of planes, 4 billion pounds um, uh, of cost, but they all had the newest entertainment system there's strength, there's power in any problem. You've just got to spend the time and go through the discomfort to look at how you might use that exact thing to create a breakthrough result. Now, those four things, Rajiv, I, I think solve most everything. But there, there comes a time for many of us, and I, I know this intimately myself, where the strategy runs out, motivation fails, like the struggle just becomes too much. You know, dealing with all the uncertainty of the world is is more than we're willing to uh, confront, at least at a particular time. And this is where the fifth step comes in, and maybe the most important step next to discomfort itself, which is surrender. Not in terms of giving up. It doesn't mean sit on the couch and watch Netflix and order pizza, something I've done many times over the years. It means actively. And intentionally accept what is exactly how it is and exactly how it isn't. Carl Jung, a famous psychologist, I'm sure you're familiar and your listeners are familiar with. He said, we cannot change anything until we accept it. Condemnation doesn't liberate. It oppresses And unless we're willing to let go of the the resistance and our views of how we think things should be or the things that uh, we think we deserve that maybe we don't have, it's essentially an anchor holding ourselves back. And those five things work together in a hunting discomfort system or framework to continually fall back on that will always be a source of new growth. Awesome.
0: So in terms of how you structured the book, um, is mm-hmm. this more like a workbook or p- can people work with it? How does that work?
1: Uh, well, it, it is a book to read and there's many stories and anecdotes in there. Uh, it, it's kind of funny. I feel like I've written this book three times with the editor just to adjust everything and make it really palatable and fun to read. But there is also, um, exercises at the end and throughout, uh, many of the chapters, where you can take these ideas, these stories, these philosophies, and grab onto them literally right then and right there and apply them into your business, your life, or into whatever you're facing. And when you do that going through this book, it's going to um, literally start working as you're going through it. So I highly recommend for anybody that has the book, do the exercises as you're reading. Don't wait for the end or tell yourself you're going to do it later. You probably won't. Just do it no matter what.
0: Well, I'm sure it's going to be a swell book. So when is it releasing and Thanks. where can people find
1: it? Uh, it comes out June 21st. Uh, it's available for pre-order now. My publisher keeps telling me, tell people they can get it now. So you can order it now. It will show up on June 21st. And the best place uh, to find all the great bookstores where it's being sold is huntingdiscomfort.com. Um, you know, It's on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, anywhere great books are sold.
0: Awesome. And then, uh, in terms of people that want to get in touch with you, uh, perhaps Uh to uh, understand your system better or to work with you, what's the best way to contact you?
1: Yeah. Um, So, my website is sterlinghawkins.com, and that's got information all about the keynote speaking, the workshops we do for companies, um, the retreats, the adventure retreats we do for the no matter what community. And of course, how to get involved with that community and all the social media and stuff that goes along with it. So sterlinghawkins.com is the place for all of that.
0: Awesome. So one other, one other question I had, Sterling, is your system, you know, I know yeah. you mentioned company workshops, but can be applied yeah. at an individual level, at a personal level as well, right?
1: Yeah, in fact, needs to be applied at a personal level, um, you know the companies are only as good as the people running them, the leaders running them. And I mean that both in terms of the formal leadership of the company, where it says I'm chief uh, executive officer, but I also mean it in terms of the, the leaders of departments that maybe don't have it on a business card, but they're leading maybe on the front line with employees or clients or customers. It's important for all of them to hunt discomfort, to use this framework in how they approach literally everything. And as it's incorporated into the people that are running companies, it yields breakthrough results. One of the, my favorite maybe overused examples is uh, you know I, I feel like I have to mention Amazon and Jeff Bezos. One of their go-to phrases like their motto is day one. with no matter if you've been there 10 years or it's your first day, you look at that day as it's your first day. They've built the discomfort of your first day in a new job, into how they want everybody to approach their job every single day. So they're questioning things. They're learning new things. They're asking why they're doing these things. And I think in no small part, that has created a culture that's produced explosive growth across countless industries.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining with us today, Sterling. Thank you for sharing your story and your system and your book. Very inspiring. Uh, I'm sure the listeners will check it out and uh, wish you the very best uh, with your launch.
1: Thank you, Rajeev. We really appreciate being here. Thanks for having me on and I look forward to staying in touch.